the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Be the church. That's the series of messages we have for these summer months. Church, we have noted, has a number of different meanings. It could refer to this building. It can also refer to the people that are here. And that's how the word was originally given. It refers to us as God's called out people, called out of the darkness of unbelief and sin to faith and righteousness for the purpose of declaring his praises. And that's what church also means too. Because sometimes when we say we're going to church, we mean gathering together with our fellow believers and doing this. But how do you view going to church? No doubt there are many different views of what this is all about. Here's some. This gentleman says, I don't really need to go to church, Reverend. I feel guilty enough without it. For some people, coming to church is just a matter of feeling guilty before God. Here's another piece of advice, a sermon survival tip, as this gentleman thought it was a time to kind of take a break and falls asleep. If during the sermon you drift off to a peaceful slumber and your wife gently nudges you, pretend you were praying and then quietly say, Amen. <laughs> of course, there's a better spin on it as this guy informed his wife who tells her friend, Herb says when he does it on Sunday afternoon, it's called a spiritual discipline. But then there are those people who are dissatisfied with church, like this group, when their pastor said they're going to study the book of Numbers. Why study the book of Numbers? 36 chapters of self-centered people who whined every time they didn't get their way. Yeah, give us something relevant. <laughs> of course, you know, pastors have their view of church too, kind of a dream view starting on the left side. Oh no, what shall we do with all this money? <laughs> or to have a sign posted on the door when you come in, standing room only. Or down on the bottom, the PCC meeting, a church council meeting, closed at 8.45 p.m. instead of 10 or 11 o'clock. Or to hear parishioners say when they come in, oh, this church is so warm. Instead of it, it's cold inside here. Who turned the air conditioner on? Or finally, as the pastor dreams of his duties for the week, those most essential duties, he comes up with a list of polishing the doorknob and shaking the doormat. That's it. Okay, so we all have our different views of going to church. But what does God say going to church should be like? St. Luke gives us a description when he talked about those first Christians in Acts chapter 2. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved what we are to do as the church is to be worshipers. And so this morning, let's church. Let's talk about what we do as Christians when we gather here. 
Now, for sure, there are different styles of worship, as this cartoon illustrates, two men coming out of the church, and the one says, well, that was our contemporary service. Next is the traditional service, followed by a classical service, and then a casual service with a sports emphasis. <laughs> and that just highlights for us that today in Christianity, there are a lot of different styles of worship. In fact, some churches get into worship wars, criticizing each other for what they are doing. But what is the right way to worship? Is there a way for us to know? So let's examine the elements of worship. That is, let's look at the key and essential ingredients that God would have us carry out in what we call church or worship. Now, there is no description of a church service in the scriptures for us to follow. But by looking at some encouragements that the scriptures give us regarding worshiping, we can see what those key elements are. For example, Paul gives this encouragement in Colossians chapter 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. From that passage, we can already see two important elements that should be in our worship. And the first is that there is praise and thanksgiving to God. Paul referred to the, the singing of hymns and, and spiritual songs. And, and we saw from our scripture reading before when Paul was giving instructions to Timothy that he quoted a, what was probably an early Christian hymn. In our hymns, we want to reflect who God is and, and what he has done, especially centering those thoughts on Jesus Christ. Paul also referred to using psalms. So I thought, well, let's take a look at one of the psalms and, and what it shows us about worship. I happened to be thinking about and hear a, an exposition of Psalm 19 this week, and as I was flying to a conference in the Midwest and back, this came to mind as you're flying and soaring up there in the sky over the clouds and, and looking down on the planet. You can't help but be moved at the majesty of God's creation and reflect that with words and thoughts of praise. So follow me for a few seconds as we go through the beginning verses of Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. Yeah, when you look around at this creation and you see the power of God, you have to simply acknowledge that with words of, of praise. What an awesome God we have. And yet to realize this, that 
we're only looking at just a sliver of what he has created. We're just seeing what we can view with our naked eye. There's so much more beyond that we can see with the use of telescopes. What an awesome, powerful God we have. As I was uh, reflecting on some of those thoughts as I was flying, we went over an area where there were some storms going on. And you could tell because the clouds were dark and you could see rain coming down. And I, and I noticed that in one particular area, there was a break in the clouds and bright sunlight was actually shining through on this little neighborhood. And I thought, they probably think they're pretty special. And everybody else is getting dumped on with this rain and here we are enjoying the sun. And all that rain reminded me of the storms of life that come too, you know, the problems in life. But yet, through them, breaks through God's glory and his grace to continue to bless us. The Apostle Paul reminded us in Romans chapter 1 that this wonderful creation is a testimony to God's power so that nobody is without excuse in knowing about him and his power. And yet, when we think of that powerful God and look at who we are, we're also reminded of our sinfulness and where we ought to stand with God because of it. In other words, his power could simply strike fear into our hearts. But just like that sun broke through all those storms, so God's grace breaks through all the troubles that we have in life, including our sin, and reminds us of his grace. And that's why Paul said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Focus on him and his grace. And so the psalmist continues after praising God for his power in creation and remarks about the wonderful working of God's word in our hearts. Listen to these words as he continues. Oh, I forgot about this cartoon. <laughs> Pastor is there as a worshiper comes into church and sees the messages about old-time religion, and he has to explain it by saying, well, it's just like new-time religion, but it recognizes sin. You see, so often today churches want to downplay sin. They'd rather talk about how good we can be and how God's word gives us advice for living a better life. They don't want to talk about sin because it's so negative. But yet God says we need to realize it and realize how he takes care of it. Now the rest of Psalm 19. The law of the Lord, which means all of God's law, is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer.
The second important ingredient in worship is that we have that proclamation of the gospel. That clear announcement from God of his grace that our sins have been removed. That Jesus, his son, has paid the penalty of our sins for us with his life, with his death, and with his resurrection. That's the proclamation of the gospel. How we love to hear that in the word. That's why we want the word in our worship and in our Bible classes. We want to hear of what God has done for us and freely given us in Jesus Christ. We want to know that we have that right standing with him through faith. And that's not just the proclamation we hear in the word. It's also that proclamation that's given us through baptism. For when the person who is being baptized has God's name pronounced over him, God's spirit goes to work in that heart, bringing him faith and forgiveness and life as that water then is put on him to show that sins have been washed away completely and forever. The proclamation of the gospel is what we have also in the Lord's Supper. This miracle meal, yes, a miracle, because as Jesus teaches us, his real body and blood is there in that bread and wine. The price that he paid to redeem us is there and now given to us, so we have the assurance of our forgiveness and life with him. That's what we want. Isn't that what we need? You know, as we go through life, we can recognize a lot of needs that we have. But isn't this the most urgent, the most important need? To know where we are with God. To know that we're forgiven and have life with him forever. That's what we want to hear proclaimed in the word. Now, to be sure, we have many other needs. Some that we acknowledge that we need God to help with. Some we maybe think, well, I can deal with it on my own. And maybe sometimes we think we have such a long list of needs that some maybe are rather petty and I won't bother God with them because he probably gets overwhelmed with all of my whining. But God invites us to come to him and to lay before him all of our cares and concerns. And therefore in worship we also include prayer. A prayer for his grace. No, I'm not going to talk much about prayer. I did that a couple of weeks ago. But this is a Christian's priority. And what a privilege. How much different our life could be. How much better this world could be if we would just take all of our concerns and bring them to the Lord of heaven and let his will be done and accept that. What a privilege we have in prayer to come and ask for his grace. Now, what do you think about church? Somebody were to say to you, you know, well, how was church today? Well, it was a little boring. The pastor had a few jokes anyway. But it was kind of the same old thing, you know. What we need to keep in mind is the perspective of what worship is all about. It's first and foremost about God. Acknowledging who he is. What he has done for us. And praising him for that. Don't we recognize that in our daily life? Don't we acknowledge how appropriate it is that we give thanks to somebody who's done something for us or that we acknowledge when somebody has done something good? How much more isn't it appropriate for us to do that to the God who not only directs us to do that, but deserves it? 
keep that priority, that focus. It's about God and not about me. Worship comes from the word worth-ship. It simply means the expression of worth or value. This is our opportunity to express the worth, the value that God has for us. He deserves our praise, and that's why he directs us to do that. And when we are moved by his spirit to focus on him and what he has done, we recognize that our need for grace is taken care of, and then we benefit from worship. Now that we have looked at the essential elements of worship, let's go on and take a look at how we should evaluate the exercise, the doing of the worship. And we get some key points from those early Christians. It says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. First thing we note is they did this every day. It was a practice. It was a routine. Now, if if you're into exercise... You probably know the value of having a routine for doing it. In other words, if you just do it every once in a while, it's not going to benefit you like you really want it to. I heard someone comment this past week that uh, when they went on vacation, they decided they were going to run every day. And then then the person thought, now why should I do that? First of all, it's vacation. (laughs) And secondly, I don't do it the rest of the time during the year, so what good is that going to do? We recognize the value of routine, of a regular exercise routine. And so it is with worship, too. To be regular in our worship. Those first Christians did it every day. Literally, the Greek says, day after day. Why not? When there are daily blessings, there should be daily thanks. When there are daily problems, we need daily prayer. The importance of a regular worship schedule is of value to us. Also note how they carried it out. They did it publicly. They went to the temple. That was their church building at the time. By going to the temple, though, it provided them a rather unique aspect of worship. It allowed them to see the whole view of their Savior. You see, the temple itself was just a shadow or a picture of Christ. Remember the words we heard before? When Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up, he was referring to his body and his resurrection. And now as the believers would gather there in that temple, they would be reminded of the body of Jesus Christ, their temple. And as they would see sacrifices being carried out, they would be reminded of that ultimate sacrifice, the only sacrifice that could remove their sins, that of Jesus giving his life and death under the wrath of God to save us. And as they would see that priest carrying out his duties, they would be reminded of their great high priest, Jesus Christ, who stands as the intercessor and brings their needs and pleads their cause before the Father. So by going to the temple, they were reminded of that whole picture of Christ. And so it is when you and I publicly gather to worship in a building like this that has been designed with furniture and banners and things to remind us of the Savior, we keep the whole view in mind and keep our focus on Jesus. By gathering publicly, though, they were also making a witness to others. As others were coming in who were still waiting to hear about the Messiah, they had the answers, and they could share that as they worshipped. 
and it was their opportunity to welcome others in. They weren't some secret cult that was meeting off in some closed room somewhere or in, or in a corner and not welcome to others. No, they were there to invite others in. And so public worship is our way of saying to this community, this is what we believe, and you are welcome to come here and hear it too. But Luke also noted that they gathered privately in their homes to worship. Maybe it was small group worship, like we have small group Bible study. It was more personal, where they focused on their particular needs and could encourage one another in their faith and in their walk. That's how you exercise worship by keeping that focus on Christ publicly and in your personal life. You know, it's good to, to take a little look at yourself and evaluate your own worship, to evaluate your worship practice. Are you regular in worshiping God? And not saying, well, you know, if it fits into my schedule, I'll do it this week, or I have other places I can be, and, well, you know, I was just there last week, I'm going to do it every week, because then, you know, it just gets so boring, and you don't really recognize the significance of it. That's not what the Christians did. It's not what God urges. Regular worship. Worship that remembers the perspective of keeping your focus on God and his grace. Now, as we evaluate ourselves, we'll recognize the weaknesses of our worship, the times when we have neglected it. It hasn't been sincere from our heart. We confess those faults and weaknesses to God, knowing that he forgives us for that faulty worship as well. But then we ask for his spirit to guide us and to strengthen us so that our worship will be worthwhile, praising him and blessing us. And when you do that, then you can enjoy the experience of worship because you keep the purpose in mind. As it says, they worshiped with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Our purpose is, first of all, to gather to glorify God. This isn't about entertainment. It's not about, yeah, did he keep my interest? Did he make me laugh? Did he make me feel good? It's about glorifying God. But a second purpose is also to encourage one another. And we see what happened when the early Christians did that. The Lord added to their number. People came to know of their Savior and to join them in worshiping him. The writer to the book of Hebrews encourages us to do that. He says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching, the judgment day, the final day. We're never getting farther away from it. We're always getting closer to it. And my goodness, when you look around in the world today, you have to wonder just how far off is it. We certainly are living in the last days, aren't we? when we see all the terrible things that are happening in this world, when we see people falling away from the faith, when we hear of opposition to the message of the gospel. But we don't know how long those last days will last. It could be hundreds of years yet. So we must encourage one another to remain faithful in our faith and in our walk. And when we do that, we'll ex experience the pleasure of worship. When Luke said they gathered with glad and sincere hearts, that word sincere in the Greek meant without a stone. That meant there was no ripple. There was no complaining. There was no fault finding. There was no blaming going on. It was just perfect, calm, enjoyable 
worship. My friends, isn't that what we need? When you look at all the stuff that we have to deal with in life, isn't it like coming to an oasis here on Sunday? Our worship can be enjoyable when it's meaningful. When we remember to praise and thank God for his blessings. Hear the proclamation of his love in the gospel. And then come to him in that privilege of prayer, asking for more of his grace. So let's continue to be the church. Let's just church. Amen.